0: The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEB Radio.com. What's up, everybody? Radio Row at Home, day two here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Tuesday on WDEB AM and FM and WDEB Radio.com. Yeah, day two it is, Radio Row at Home. We continue to bring out the biggest names and the best guests that we can find that have some either local or regional relevance or some relevance to the big game itself between the Chiefs and Eagles. So at 5.45 in 15 minutes, we're going to talk with former Boston Red Sox general manager Dan Duquette. That's right, Dan Duquette going to hang out with us here in 15 minutes. Spring training begins next week. It's not only about the Super Bowl. Then at 6.30, we get into the game itself. Former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio stops by. So great stuff coming from Joe, I'm sure, on what it's like play in the NFL, but also on the Chiefs, who he played for and now covers for a podcast network, so he knows the inner workings of Kansas City. I want to get into, at the top of the 6 o'clock hour, what the governor had to say about the issue of uh, conduct being played at Vermont Youth Sporting Events. We'll do that at 6.05. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026 at your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville, and again, you can watch us live every day On Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or my Twitter account, which is at WDEV Radio Brady. Five,
1: four, three, two, one. And here
0: we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, they're online at sixandstuff.com. Last night, that is what we've all been waiting for. Seriously, last night, the Let's Go podcast, the Tom Brady podcast, last night's episode, that is what we've wanted. That is what we have wanted. It's what we have waited for. It is what we have hoped for. And last night, we got it. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, Together, sharing stories, sharing niceties about each other, dropping knowledge about each other, that is what we've wanted. We have talked for years about the relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. We have wondered for years what it's really like. We've wondered if we'd get amending offenses. Did we even need amending offenses? Last night, we got the answers to those questions. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are fine. In fact, they are better than fine. They are great. There was an appreciation. There was an admiration. There was a fun. There was a levity. There was all of that to the conversation on last night's Let's Go Let's Go podcast between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And I've got to tell you, as a Patriots fan, hearing it all, it gave me closure. As a Patriots fan, last night gave me complete closure. It's what we would wanted to hear. It's what we'd hoped to hear. It's what we'd wondered if we were ever going to hear. And now that, I, now that I've heard it, I couldn't be more happy about it. The podcast episode went over an hour. Brady and Belichick were on together for about 20 minutes, but those 20 minutes were truly perfect it was like mom and dad coming together and realizing that they loved each other all along it was absolutely perfect I mean listen to some of this here's Brady talking about Belichick
2: uh, there's no way I have the success that I've had you know personally without him and I'm very grateful for that
0: that was just you know, one of the several th- great things that Brady said about Belichick. He also said there's nobody he'd rather be linked with for his entire career or no one he'd rather be constantly messaged, uh, mentioned alongside than Bill Belichick. He said that Belichick taught him everything that football was all about.
2: And I definitely had a lot of players do that. And obviously um, I had someone that really saw something in me that, you know, not a lot, a lot of other people did. And, you know, the, yeah, they were offensive coach and so forth. But I think Coach Belichick and I developed an amazing relationship really from the moment I was drafted. But then really we got – we spent a lot of time together. You know, he started to begin to teach me really what football was all about. And it continued
0: on. Brady addressed the people who tried to put a division between the
1: two.
2: I know he respected me for the job that I did, and I certainly did the same. And I think even when you go away from each other, you respect each other probably that much more. I certainly did because I realized the commitment that he was trying to make to get our team to win. And that's the purpose of sports is to try to go compete and win. And when you have someone that believes in winning as much as you do, you want to be a part of that. And when people try to get in the way of that, they become the enemy. So I always think the people that tried to drive us apart actually brought us closer together.
0: That was from Brady's perspective. Now, the way this was done was Jim Gray was in the middle. He asked questions of both of them. It wasn't Brady and Belichick talking necessarily to one, each other. They were one another. They were each answering questions about the other, but the other was in the room, in the video chat, in the screen. They could see them. It wasn't just Brady talking nice about Belichick. It went the other way too.
2: The greatest player, the greatest career uh
0: a great, great person. Uh, it's, it's such an, an opportunity and an honor for me to, you know, to coach Tom. And uh, I, I guess, I guess it's got in at some point, um, you know, but it, it it's the greatest one ever. So congratulations, Tom. Belichick also said that Brady taught him about football, talked about his competitiveness, talked about his willingness to be part of the team is willingness to accept coaching and accept criticism. it was a 20 minute love fest and you know what I am here for it. It's what we've been waiting for and it feels really good to have that reconciliation to have that closure because I now as a Patriots fan, I now have that closure. I now have that closure. I had wondered I, I had wondered here for, Months and years. When Brady goes back, what's it going to be like? The first time he's back, what is it going to be like? What's Belichick going to be like? Is it going to be cold? We didn't know. Now we know. Everything that comes down the line for Tom Brady in New England is going to be great. Because we already knew that Brady's relationship with the fans was great. We knew that Brady's relationship with Kraft was great. We knew that Brady's relationship with his old teammates was great. The only thing we didn't know is how was his relationship with Belichick. And now that we've heard it and we know that that's great, everything that comes next is going to be great. Jersey retirement, Tom Brady day, statue dedication day, all of it. Patriots ring of honor day. Pro Football Hall of Fame Induction Day, whatever comes is going to be great because all of those relationships are intact. And you know what? As a result of all that, I am even more convinced that Tom Brady should and will sign a one-day contract with the Patriots. I am even more convinced now. You know, last week we had Tom Curran and Phil Perry and all these guys who were Pat's insiders tell us that Brady wouldn't want to rewrite history and it's cheesy and he wouldn't necessarily want to gloss over all the Belichick stuff and all that. Well, after hearing what I heard last night, I'm more convinced than ever Tom Brady should sign a one-day contract and I still believe that he ultimately is going to. I do not know when that's going to be. Okay, I do not know when that's going to be. Is it going to be after the Super Bowl ends? Is it going to be right before training camp starts? Is it going to be is Tom Brady going to wait, you know, is Brady going to waffle on retiring again and see where he's at in in, in August and and the Patriots end up doing this thing next December? I don't know, but at some point I think Tom Brady is going to end his career officially with the Patriots, because the biggest thing holding back that possible one-day contract, that possible ceremony, the biggest thing holding that back was a potential rift with Bill Belichick. And now with that rift gone, with that rift done, the door is open for Tom Brady and the team to get together and do the right thing. And signing a one-day contract with the Pats is the right thing. I know Tom Curran says it's not necessary and Brady wouldn't do it. I know Ted Johnson says he'd lose respect for Brady if he did it. And I know that Phil Perry says it's not necessary and it's cheesy. I get all that. And all those people are closer to the situation than me. The right thing to do is to sign the one-day contract. Kraft wants it. He's like a father figure to you. The fans want it. And now your relationship with Belichick is intact. You should do it. You should absolutely do it. It's the right thing to do. It would be awesome if it happens. I hope that it does. I think that it will. I just don't know when. I could see it not happening for a year. Maybe last week I thought it was going to happen instantaneously. This this week I don't necessarily think that. It is going to happen, I believe. But Tom Brady, look, the door is open for Tom Brady to play in 2023. I think he's done, but the door is open. He's already said he's not gonna start his broadcasting career until 2024. So he's he's not he doesn't have that hanging over his head. He wouldn't be quitting on the Fox team. We'll see what happens. He hasn't officially said there's a 0% chance, so I get it. He could come back at out of retirement again in 2023. So maybe this doesn't happen right away. But when it finally is for good then I think it's going to happen where he signs the one-day contract with the Patriots. But even more than that, it was just refreshing to hear Tom Brady and Bill Belichick talk nicely about each other, talk about football, talk about their memories, talk about their shared passions. They shared some stories from Tom Brady and Bill Belichick together on the golf course that I'd never heard. It's good to get some clarity on this relationship. For two people that I don't know, that I've never spoken to either one of them. We talked a lot about their relationship. I feel invested. It's nice to know that it's okay. It is nice to know that it's okay and that it's healthy. And now we are just on to a post-retirement life of good ceremonies and good visits, and it's good to know that everybody likes each other. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. There's plenty more to this story. There are more angles to it. Not everybody is taking it as happily as I am. We'll talk about some of those people coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Again, we have more on this Tom Brady podcast appearance with Bill Belichick. But I want to move now over to Major League Baseball. Again, this is Radio Row at Home. With Radio Row at home, we try to bring you the biggest names and the best guests that you will care about. Some of them are football-related. Some of them are not. This next guest is baseball-related. And you know what? Spring training is, is eight days away. February 15th is the first pitchers and catchers workout for the Boston Red Sox. I've told you how pumped I am. A guy who knows all about the Boston Red Sox is calling in now. Dan Duquette is with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Dan Duquette is the former general manager of your Boston Red Sox, of our Boston Red Sox. He also was the general manager of the Montreal Expos and the Baltimore Orioles. He's a multi-time Major League Baseball Executive of the Year, and he's here with us now. And, oh, by the way, he also does work at Sirius XM on the MLB Network radio channel. So, Dan Duquette, thank you for being with us here on this Tuesday. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. And I know it's Super Bowl week, but it's also one week away from uh, pitchers and catchers reporting for the Red Sox. So I am starting to get that baseball feeling. I assume it's the same for you.
1: Well, it's always good this time of year to think about the warm warm weather, you know, if you're up north. (laughs) And everybody uh, keeps an eye on that. You know, I think the truck left for spring training. So the players aren't too far behind.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the Red Sox right now. Your 3,000-foot view of where this team is at right now in a really deeply competitive American League.
1: Well, the American League East, as you know, is probably the toughest division in big-time sports. And it's very, very competitive every year. And the teams in that division, they play to win. Uh, You you know, you have the the large-market teams the Yanks and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, and then you have uh, Tampa and the Orioles. They're, they all run pretty good operations, so you got to be on your toes in the East. The Yanks have to be the favorites going into the season, and uh, the Blue Jays have spent. They're up over the salary cap this year. They've spent more money than they've ever spent on their major league payroll, so they're going to be good, and you know, it looks like the Red Sox are kind of in a transition. You'll have to see how... Um, how their team comes together this year and uh, see if they can get some young ball players on their roster to replenish some of the stars they lost.
0: When you look at what the Red Sox have done, right? They've let Xander Bogart's walk. They've you know let Michael Walker go in free agency. But they've brought in, uh, you know, a bunch of kind of stopgap pieces, Alberto Mondesi, Justin Turner, et cetera. Do you look at the Red Sox as having a plan or do you just think they're just kind of making moves?
1: I'm not sure what their plan is. You know, you can't you ask that question to the, uh, to the uh, ownership group. You know, that ownership group has done well. Uh, you know, they've won uh, four World Series um, since uh, 2018. I don't know that their uh, direction has been as clear as it's been some of their other uh, campaigns. So I I think that remains to be seen which direction they're going to be going.
0: Whether it was your time with the Expos or with the Red Sox, one thing you were known for was – Drafting, signing, developing, he had a really good eye for talent. And the jury is kind of out right now on Haim Bloom's eye for talent because some of the returns he's gotten in deals have, have ended up becoming DFA guys, guys that haven't panned out or guys that, you know, ERAs of seven, et cetera. What is the key to identifying talent but also being able to develop it?
1: Well, I, you know, that, that, identifying talent, I was fortunate. I had a great teacher in Harry Dalton, and he taught me how they did it with the Orioles when they had their great run, when they won uh, four pennants and a couple of World Series in the late 60s and 70s. And he gave me a system that I could rely on very effectively in all the stops that I went. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a talent business, right? There's no substitute for talent. And... Uh, there's no substitute for talent. You, you, you got to have it to compete. The Sox over the years have had um, some very, very good teams uh, and, and some star players. And now it looks like they're in the position where they have to build to get back to that point again.
0: Dan Duquette, former Major League Baseball GM, multi-time executive of the year, eight-year GM with the Red Sox, also was a GM with the Orioles and the Montreal Expos as well. You know, you traded in your career for Pedro Martinez twice. You traded for him from uh, to get him to Montreal and then to get him to Boston. A guy who has drawn some Pedro like comparisons is young Red Sox pitcher Brian Bayo who we saw last year short slight frame great changeup so that's where the Pedro comparisons come in what did you see in a young Pedro that led you to believe he would be great
1: uh I like Brian Bayo and Pe- Pedro likes Brian Bayo because I saw he's been working with him down in the Dominican at his uh, at his place uh but I don't think it's fair at any young pitcher to compare him to pedro they'd all like to be like pedro but there's only one pedro um i, I happened happen to see pedro in rookie ball when i was the uh i think i was the farm director of the expos and and they we were playing the dodgers down in uh, west palm beach and i saw this wispy kid with the hair down to his collar and i saw him throw inside to our hitters and then when they leaned over the plate, he, <laughs> he threw a little up-and-in chin music. And I said, oh, my God, who's this guy? And then he broke his curve over the outside part of the plate, then he threw a change-up. So I always remembered him, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate to get an opportunity to, to work with him a, a couple of times. And like I said, there, there, there's there's no there's nobody like Pedro. But, you know I, know, I know a lot of people like Brian Baio. I hope he has a great career. Do you think you get
0: enough credit for what you did for the Red Sox? A lot of your guys were part of that 0-4 team, the core of that 0-4 team that broke the curse and won the World Series. Do you think you get enough credit for all you did for the organization?
1: Well, I think the Red Sox recognized that this past year uh, when I got inducted yep. to the Hall of Fame with Big Pappy and, uh, and Manny Ramirez. And I know the fans over the years have recognized the contributions that uh, my administration made to the Red Sox, uh, not just for that '04 4 team, but, you know, to uh, diversify the organization, uh, uh, add diversity, uh, and include players from all around the globe on the roster. So the fans have always recognized it, and I was grateful for the opportunity to, to work with the Red Sox and then see them win the World Series after four generations of my family missed it, but also, um, you know the, the uh, you know to, to be there and see him win in 04 and, and have the foundation of players to win again in 07 uh, certainly all the scouts and the uh, people that worked in my administration contributed to that
0: all those years in baseball what's the the go-to story you tell people at the cocktail parties what's the story that rises out above the rest <laughs>
1: I have some great Manny Ramirez stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of them are, some of them are for, for prime time, some of them are not. But um, <laughs> Manny's the most unique player that I've ever been around. And um, I, I like to tell the story of his uh, single-mindedness of purpose, of, uh, of him not keeping track of the balls and not keeping track of the strikes. <laughs> And so when I asked him for more clarity on that, he said, I don't keep track of the balls. I don't keep track of the strikes until I have two. (laughs) And then I I didn't know how to respond to that. And I put my head down and I was getting ready to walk away. And he said, hey, Duke, he said, I go up there looking for a pitch I can hit. And if I don't get it, I know I'll get it eventually. And then he said, isn't that what you're paying me to do? And I said, that's right, buddy. Just carry on. You, you just carry on
0: do you think the rule adjustments this year are going to have a big impact on getting offense back into the game like what do you think of the shift alterations
1: well i mean the nfl have have made some of those alterations on some of their coverages that they outlawed uh to get a little bit more uh, offense into their game so the, the shifts um you know it remains to be seen how that's going to go. Uh, Undoubtedly, it has uh, uh, hurt the offense. Uh, Frankly, I've been disappointed that some of the hitters haven't taken a more uh, practical approach to making contact, especially with two strikes so that they don't turn into a strikeout artist. Um, And going against the shift, I mean, statistically, Uh, All you got to do is lay down a bunt one out of four times and be successful for it to work in your favor. But um, none of that was really done or encouraged. Uh, So the the hitters didn't make a lot of the adjustments, that I thought they should have been encouraged to make uh, a little bit more aggressively. The the pitching is just unbelievable, okay? As hard as these guys throw, uh, with the technology they have that allows them to spin the ball uh, more effectively, consistently and efficiently makes it just so, so hard to hit. So I'm all in favor of, uh, of helping out the hitters, but I think some of it has to be with an improved approach by a lot of them.
0: You know, I think the number could be seven, seven Red Sox that could be leaving camp to go to the world baseball classic as an executive. How do you, how would you feel about your players going to play in the WBC?
1: Well, you know, the WBC, um, that's the response of baseball to the world cup. And it's a, you know, baseball is a, a, a global game, right? We did a lot of work with the Red Sox when I was there to, uh, globalize the game we recruited players from all over the world to be the most diverse organization in the big leagues. So I'm all in favor of that. Uh, I worked hard with the, with the uh, team in Israel. That was one of our goals to get to the WBC and, you know, thankfully they got there. Um, But you know, having seven guys, that might be a little bit more than uh, that I would be comfortable doing. But you know, certainly, um, you know, uh, you got to support baseball's growth on a worldwide basis. A lot of the star players are coming from uh, countries from around the globe, other than the U.S. and Canada.
0: Well, I'll get you out of here on this. We talked about Pedro, so maybe the answer is him. But I'm curious, who is the best amateur player? you ever saw whether you scouted him directly or whether you had a scout tell you about him when you were in an executive capacity who is the young guy that just made your jaw drop
1: i saw chipper jones when he was a shortstop in in, in jacksonville as a high school kid he, he went he went number one in the draft and and he had everything right he's a switch hitter uh he had middle of the diamond skills he could run he could throw he could hit from both sides of the plate he had power uh, so he, he's probably the most complete, uh, uh, amateur player that I saw. Um, Barry Bonds was pretty impressive, um, at, at Arizona state. I mean, he, that, that guy, that guy could do everything. And out of the guys that I signed and drafted, uh, you know, Gary Sheffield <laughs> was, was quite a hitter. And then, you know, I signed a couple of batting champs, Nomar and, uh, Vlad Guerrero. I mean, those guys ended up being, you know, uh, over 315 lifetime hitters. So I've been fortunate to see some good ones, but probably the most complete uh, was was Chipper Jones.
0: Well, certainly an eye for talent with you, for sure, Dan Duquette, Red Sox Hall of Famer, former Red Sox general manager, and uh, spending some time with us here today on the Brady Farkas Show. Dan, we appreciate it, appreciate your contributions to the Red Sox and to baseball. Now you can listen to Dan's work over at SiriusXM on the MLB Network radio. So, Dan, much appreciated, and we'll catch up down the road.
1: All right, thanks a lot. Good to talk some baseball with you.
0: And always good to talk baseball. Dan Duquette, eight years, the GM of the Red Sox, also the GM of the Expos, Orioles as well, and uh, a multi-time executive of the year. I, you know, that's that's amazing stuff from Dan Duquette. Like, you look at the players that he just mentioned, that he scouted or drafted and signed. I mean, Pedro, Manny, Manny. Nomar, Vlad Guerrero, Johnny Damon's in there. Kevin Euculus he brought to Boston. Just an amazing talent evaluator. The ability to close a deal as well. Like, he, it's like he had the best of both worlds, right? Like, right? The thing that Haim Bloom is trying to do, Dan Duquette was able to do. The thing that Dave Dombrowski did, Dan Duquette was able to do, right? Bring in Pedro. Bring in Manny. I mean, this is... That was great stuff. Like his work with the Red Sox predates me covering the team, it predates me being a Sox fan. So I can't speak to it as articulately as somebody like TC could who I'll talk to tomorrow, but I'm sure that Dan Duquette does not get the credit he deserves from fans for building the Red Sox. I'm glad, like he he got fired like a day after John Henry took over the team. And I'm sure it's very evident now that Dan Duquette got the shaft. I mean, it's his guys who won the 04 World Series? I'm glad the team recognized this and put him in the Hall of Fame last summer. Uh, so that's good, good recognition. But I just, I could talk to Dan Duquette or people like Dan Duquette all day long. The scouting stories, the story on Manny Ramirez hey, that's what you pay me to do. Scouting Trip, Chipper Jones. I loved all of it. He sees some Pedro in Brian Bayo. There's real good stuff in there. Trading for Pedro twice. So I, Again, it's not baseball season just yet, but it's almost baseball season. The minute we get through the Super Bowl, I'm on to baseball season. I know I got UVM to talk about, men and women. I know I got hockey and basketball. I know, but the minute Sunday ends for football, my mind goes to baseball season. I could talk to Dan Duquette and people like him every single day. Uh, we will have a little more Red Sox stuff, by the way, today. Not much, a little bit, though. P.K. Hernandez said something very interesting. I'll play that for you at about 6.20. Texter says, on the Patriots, glad the Pats made peace. The one-day contract is cheesy. They'll do Maybe they'll do something more classy. Tom deserves it. Tom Brady does deserve it, and Tom Brady's going to get things that are classy. The question is when. As of right now, the Patriots have a four-year waiting period for the Patriots' ring of honor. To put a player in the Patriots' ring of honor, he has to have been retired for four years. Now, maybe the Patriots will waive that for him. But if they don't, I need something instantaneous, right? I need some instant gratification. I need an instant reason to bring him back to Foxborough. And a one-day contract would be that. Now, if they want to waive the four-year period and do it on opening day of next year... Well, then maybe I changed my mind about the about the one-day contract. But as of now, with the policy that's in place, it's a four-year waiting period. I need an excuse to bring him back earlier than four years. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Governor Phil Scott today speaking about the problems in conduct at youth sporting events. Is he right in what he had to say? I'll tell you next right here on DEV.
3: Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and wdevradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Kyle in South Burlington appreciates the Dan Duquette interview saying he was hammered in the media for letting Roger Clemens go, but he made the right decision. The full interview with Dan Duquette is available already on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I also spoke with former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan today about the Catamount men and the Catamount women's success. So that interview is online as well coming up at the bottom of the hour we'll be joined by former kansas city chiefs offensive lineman joe valerio he'll help us get ready for the super bowl between the chiefs and the philadelphia eagles you can get in on the napa morrisville napa waterbury text line 802-585-3026 i want to talk about what governor phil scott had to say today and governor phil scott had an idea for what he thinks is kind of the root cause of poor fan behavior at local sporting events. So first off, I credit the governor for starting off his weekly press conference talking about the tragic situation that happened last week in Alberg. right? The game between the team from Alberg and the team from St. Albans City, I believe, excuse me, that 7th and 8th grade basketball game where there was a brawl on the court, punches were thrown, eventually a spectator who was at that game and involved in that fracas died the death is still being investigated so the governor started off his press conference talking about that incident i give him credit for that and he said he thinks that general societal anger is what's leading to some of these fan outbursts and some of these poor conduct of you know or this poor conduct we've heard about at vermont sporting events
3: that's correct i think there's a lot of anger uh, throughout society throughout the country uh, that we're seeing boil over in many, many different places. Again, this isn't unique to Vermont, but I, but I do think um, that uh, what we saw there was just so, again, so sad, so unusual, and uh, and unnecessary.
0: So the governor says essentially there's so much bad blood in society that it's causing people to act out and act very reprehensibly. I don't want to say that the governor is wrong. I think that what the governor says is part of it. But I don't think it tells the entire story. Because this story of fan conduct at Vermont high school games and at Vermont youth games and at youth and high school games nationally, I don't think that's a story you can paint with one broad stroke and I don't think you can cover all of that topic with one blanket reason. What the governor says about general anger can be part of the story, but I don't believe it is the only part of the story. We've seen incidents in this state where parents are mad at officials and act terribly, where parents act awfully to coaches, where racial comments are made to players, body image comments are made to players. We've seen the whole gamut of nastiness being run, and I don't think all of that is attributed to just a ramped-up political climate as the governor indicates. 802-585-3026. I will support the governor's comments in this way. I believe that the incidents we have heard about, right, the incidents in this state we have heard about, where there are racial comments being made at games, where where there are homophobic comments being made at games, I believe that those are from pent up political and social feelings that I believe now race has always been an issue in society it's been an issue since I was born it was an issue when you were born it's been an issue in the entirety of the time this country has been founded And sometimes it's more repressed you know it's more repressed and sometimes the issue is bubbled up to the surface. The entirety of the seven years I've been in this business... Actually, it's eight years, almost nine years. The entirety of that time, race has been near the top of the surface, right? I got into this business right as Colin Kaepernick knelt for the anthem. Ever since that day, race has been a more prominent part of sports. It's been a more prominent part of society. Then you fast forward, 2020, George Floyd. Obviously, it exploded and got even worse, and it has not gone away worse is the wrong word. It's gotten more prevalent. Right? The conversation around race has gotten more prevalent. And it has not gone away. In the history, it's gotten up and then it's been pushed back down. It's not being pushed down anymore. So I do think you have people on edge now. Right? Race is part of the conversation. Race is on television. It's being discussed. Political leaders are talking about it. People are disagreeing on all sides people are angry about race they've always been angry about race but now it's at the surface parents have opinions those opinions seep to their kids they end up coming out at these events where people from multiple cultures and multiple races are together i believe that the souped up political and social climate has contributed to our racial discourse or lack thereof so when we hear about racial comments at games, yes, I think the governor is right that this climate that we live in where everyone is angry and it's us versus them, that comes out. I would 100% agree with that. I also think if we're talking about homophobic or transphobic comments, we're it's the exact same thing, right? Once we started talking more about race, then other marginalized groups came to the surface as well. So the same thing happens. Our parents have opinions. Those opinions seep to kids. Those opinions come out at games in places that they shouldn't. And now we end up with unfortunate incidents, with terrible incidents. So I think the governor is right, that the, that the social climate, that the political climate has contributed to some of what we're seeing around the state. But I do not believe it's all of it right i don't think comments about body image have anything to do with political nature that's just you're a jerk if you're at games talking about high school kids and how they look you're just a jerk that to me doesn't have anything to do with political or social climate but really i think the majority of the issues The majority of the issues that we have in this state, the majority of issues we have in this country regarding youth sporting events and conduct at them, it's the result to me of youth sports culture in general. That to me is the culprit of most of these issues. We have issues with race at our sporting events. We've covered them here on DEV. Yes, we have issues of sexism, of transphobia. We have that in the state of Vermont. We've seen it. We've covered it. So totally agree that all of that happens, and a lot of that is because of, of discourse in the state, discourse in the country, what's happening nationally, everyone fighting with each other. I agree with that. Where I disagree with the governor is we also need to recognize that there is just a problem with youth sports culture, and it's not new and it didn't happen overnight. And yes, it's gotten worse. And it's gotten a lot worse. My dad worked in the newspaper industry for a long time. And one of the sections he was most proud of in his entire career had to have been about 15, 20 years ago. And it was about the, the uh, undoing of youth sports culture. And there was a picture on the front page of the paper of a four-year-old kid giving somebody the finger. My dad was the most proud of that, and they were covering this 15, 20 years ago. It's gotten worse. Youth sports has a real problem in it. The culture around youth sports has a problem in it, and that's what the governor today didn't mention. Political, social climate, it matters. It is part of it. Some of the incidents we see are attributable to that. But the what what, what is a real real issue what is a real real issue is youth sports in general. And I am not defending people who act like clowns at games. But I will say this. Parents, and I think parents are the majority of these problems, right? Parents yelling at other kids, parents yelling at their own kid, parents yelling at coaches parents yelling at officials. I think parents are the biggest culprit here. Parents are more invested in youth sports than they've ever been before. And I think that that leads to a lot of problems. Not every problem we've seen in the state, but I think it leads to a lot of them. Parents are more invested than they've ever been before in youth sports. Look, when my dad was growing up, And played sports, it was like, ride your bike to the game, get there yourself, and then come home. Your parents weren't even a part of it. I'm sure in the 60s, you were lucky if your parents were even at the game, right? Well, now, it's very much not that way. It costs a lot of money now to play youth sports. A lot of money. And it costs a lot of money... In most, youth, in most youth sports, right? You have to have the top equipment. And now you have to join the travel team. And the travel team has to obviously travel. And now you're spending money on gas, and you're spending money on hotels, and you're burning your entire Saturday and your entire Sunday, and you're burning your entire vacation to go see your kid play. And it's costing you thousands of dollars to do that. I There was one year in baseball, I played 110 games, between April and October, 110. There was a stretch where we were outpacing the majors in games played. I can only imagine what that costs. We went to Maryland that summer. We went to Missouri that summer. I feel like I also went somewhere else that fall potentially. And I can only imagine the thousands of dollars it cost my parents to have me play baseball just that one summer. And then we did it every year for it for eight years. And it costs a bunch of money to play hockey, and it costs a bunch of money to play AAU basketball and travel around, and a bunch of money to ski, and I'll do all these things competitively. And again, I'm not making excuses for people, but if we want to talk about where the youth sports culture stems from, I think it stems from how financially invested parents are, right? They're more financially invested than they've ever been before, and as a result, what happens? They're always on edge. Right, Parents have thousands of dollars invested into your season, into your athletic career. So when they think you're getting screwed by the ref, they comment on it because I'm not getting my money's worth. When they think you're getting screwed by the coach, they comment on it because, hey, I'm paying for all this, and if I'm going to pay $2,000 for little Johnny to be here, then little Johnny better play. And if little Billy's playing over little Johnny, then now I got a little problem with Billy's father. I think that a lot of the youth sports problems comes from the money it takes to even play them, and that's really unfortunate. That is really unfortunate. We talk in every aspect of society about getting to the root of a problem, about a systemic issue. Well, I think youth sports, one of their systemic issues is how much it costs to play because I I got a feeling that – if it costs me a hundred dollars, if it costs my parents a hundred dollars to put up for me to play an entire season of baseball, they might be a little less on edge than if it cost them one thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars. And if every game was a game within, you know, at within five minutes of home versus five hours of home, it'd probably be different as well. This is one thing that is such a double-edged sword for me. Playing travel baseball was one of the coolest things that I did, right? There, I, I still remember, okay, when we went to Missouri. And I remember, okay, I remember the things we did outside of the field. I remember the bad weather at the game. I remember that we played poker. Uh, World Series of Poker was on and we played. I remember all that. I remember when we went to the beach in New Jersey when I was 10, It gave me some of my best memories playing travel baseball did. But things like travel baseball are also, I think, contributing to the problems in youth sports, right? It costs too much to play. Some kids get weeded out because they can't afford it. Some kids get weeded out because their parents choose not to pay that much on sports. It's just – and then it causes the parents to be so invested – That they're so always on edge. And they take some of the fun out of it for the kids. I think the whole thing is a problem. So back to the point. The governor is right. Everybody in society is angry. Everybody in society is wound up tight. Everybody is. And if you're not wound up tight, you tend to now be looked at as the problem. Right? Like I've had people tell me like. Brady, why are you not more angry about this? You know this affects you too. I just choose not to be angry about everything, and I get looked at like I'm the problem. So the governor is right. Our general anger contributes to some of the things we see around the state. And I would say again, racial, LGBTQ, if you've got prejudices there that are present at your game, I think think that's coming from the political climate. But it's not all of it. A lot of the issues at these games, I think, center around parents and they center around the youth sports culture. And the youth sports culture, a lot of it's rooted in money because parents are so invested that if they don't think they're getting their money's worth, they're complaining to somebody, whether it's somebody else in the stands, a coach or an official, because if they're not getting their money's worth, somebody's doing them wrong. And then you have the other group of people who want to make all that money back, and how can they make that money back? Well, then their kid can get a scholarship. So now they're refinancially invested because, look, if I'm going to pay all this money for little Johnny to play coming up, I better get rewarded on the backside where little Johnny gets the scholarship to Tennessee or UVM or Boston College or Duke or wherever. And then those parents present a whole new group of problems. They present a whole new group of problems. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Tex says, Brady, thanks for addressing this issue. It needs to be discussed. I'll be honest with you. I was hoping for some more comments on this, right? I got one comment there. I was hoping for more because that is an important topic. And when the governor leads his press conference about it, I think that shows you the severity of it. Somebody died in this state as a result of fan behavior or in part because of fan behavior. That's not right. You have a game tonight, girls basketball, between CVU and Burlington that is going to be played at Patrick Gym in which a statement is being read because Burlington, because there there may or there have been perceived racist comments against their team. That's not right. You have the, the whole situation at Randolph, which is just, I mean, it's become a national news story and a rallying cry for people on all sides of the aisle, and that's not right. I mean, this is the the conduct at youth sports and at high school sports is out of control. And what's crazy too, and what's also sad, is that I talk about how money impacts everything, right? Well, it doesn't cost anything for these kids to play on high school teams. Right? It might cost a thousand dollars for me to play on my summer travel baseball team. Cost me zero to represent my high school. But because these parents are so used to trying to control everything in the summer, it stems into the high school as well. Right? They're used to yelling at the umpires. They're used to yelling at the officials. They're used to yelling at the coaches. They're used to pulling the coach aside after practice and talking about it. Because they're used to it in the summer and because they think the coaches in the summer work for them, they bring the same attitude to the high school. And that's sad, too. It's just a very disappointing. It's very disappointing and it's been that way for a while. Look, I'll be look, I'll tell you a story. I coached, I've mentioned this, right? I coached youth baseball. I coached college baseball for a couple of years, but I coached youth baseball also. I coached 14 and under baseball my very first year. I was like 19 and I coached 14-year-olds. And then the next two or three years I coached a very good 16 and under team. Right? I coached Three years, 16 and under. One year, nah, two years, I coached 16 and under. One year, we were okay, and I had the B team. And the next year, I had the A team. We were really, really good. Like, guys that went Division One, and we had one kid that got drafted. Like, our team was very, very good. And I had a very good group of parents. I did. But we went to the state tournament. Actually, we went to a regional tournament. We were one level away from a World Series, right? So we won the – we had to get in the top six of the Eastern New York State Mickey Mantle Division. We did that. We were in first. Check. We had to win the state tournament against all the other you know, teams that won their leagues. Check. We did that too. Then we went to the regionals in New York City. We are playing Bronx, Harlem, Connecticut, et cetera. We go to the regionals, and I get word – in the hotel that one of the fathers is drunk and looking for me because his kid's not playing enough. Right? Like his kid's not playing enough. Like that's where we're at with this stuff. I am 24, 25 maybe. I've got a very good team, a really good group of parents. We're at the regionals. Everyone's having a great time. The kids are having a blast and a drunk parent is now looking for me in the hotel to do I don't know what to me. But that's where we're at with this stuff. And it's not right. It is not right, and it's very disappointing that youth sports has gotten to this point. Again, I think a lot of it is money, right? That guy paid a lot of money for his kid. He traveled to New Jersey, He gave, or he traveled to the Bronx, he gave up his, or Long Island, or wherever the hell we were, he gave up some of his off days and vacation time to be there. So I get it. He's on edge. But because he's so financially into it, now he's like, I need a return on that investment. And I think that's a lot of the problem. I think that's a lot of the problem. All right. It is the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Tex says maybe we should stop playing high school games and call a timeout on them. No. High school sports is one of the best things going. High school sports themselves with the players is one of the purest things out there. You cannot take that away. It is the life... High school athletics is among the lifebloods of a school. Is among the lifebloods of a community. And taking it away, that is not... That is not the solution. We talk about, again, systemic change or systemic problems in society. We got to get to the root of them, right? Canceling games, kicking out fans, that is, that is a cosmetic thing, right? That is a cosmetic thing. Getting to the root of it is these sports cost so much money, and maybe they shouldn't cost that much maybe we don't need as many other things as we have and you need to not be as finite you need to not be as invested just because you have a financial investment to it right you put money in the stock market you pay a thousand dollars you have no idea what's going to happen to it and you kind of passively watch it I wish that was the way it could work for you sports it can't Nate says, Brady, the sad part is the kids are becoming the parents. The parents influence the kids, and the kids emulate that. The governor's right when he says the issue stems from something bigger than sports. This is part of the political problem in this country, where people feel like it's acceptable to say anything and everything about someone, even if it's degrading. We as a society have turned soft. We've let this spiral out of control that it's almost impossible to turn around. The answer moving forward is not going to be easy to figure out the answer is not easy to figure out because the the political and social climate that's not going back in the bag right like that that pandora's box has been open for 200 years or 250 225 years or whatever no 250 years it's been open for 250 years but it's at the surface now again and it's not going away the racial stuff the uh lgbtq stuff that stuff's not going away so that problem where the people, you know, where where people are uh, disagreeing on those issues, that's not changing. The financial investment that parents have, I think that could change, but boy is that going to be hard too. Because we've seen it, right? I took I took pitching lessons, I took hitting lessons. It made me much better. So, those are a good thing, but my parents paid a lot of money for them. So now they're financially invested. You want you want to be good you need that extra stuff. It's it is it's very difficult. But I just think to say that the issue is, is one size fits all, I don't think that that is the truth. I, I appreciate the governor for talking about it, period, today. I appreciate him leading off his conversation with it. And there is some truth to what he said. It's just not one size fits all. This is the Brady Farkas Show, on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I wanted to tell you about Kike Hernandez. I wanted to talk a little more about Tom Brady. I'm going to have to save that for tomorrow now. We went way longer on U Sports than I thought. We're going to have to get back in to the Super Bowl now. The teams are in Phoenix. The teams are getting ready to play in Glendale this Sunday, the Chiefs and the Eagles. How about the Kansas City perspective? Former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio. He's going to be with us next on our Radio Row at Home Day number two, here on D26. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here at WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Jazz with George Thomas comes up at the bottom of the hour, and I want to shift from our high school sports discussion. It was a good one, an important one, uh, to our Super Bowl discussion. Radio Row at home, day two here, live in studio. And joining me now on the phone line is a guy who's certainly well-connected to this Super Bowl. He's a former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman, spent five years in the NFL, four of which with KC. He's also now the host of the Believe in Chiefs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. So on the phone is Joe Valerio. Joe, thank you for being with us. How are you?
3: Brady, thank you for having me. Greetings from uh, Philadelphia, which, you know, I'm I'm a Philadelphian and I've played for the Chiefs, so, you know, I've got this interesting allegiance to both teams and uh, at our Super Bowl party, which will be at home. I won't be in Arizona. We've got cheese and hoagies on one side of the room and we'll have Kansas City kansas city barbecue on the other side so super excited about
0: it you've got the market cornered on good food at the super bowl party i've got the market cornered on ivy league offensive lineman we had ross tucker on the show yesterday who played nice. at, played at princeton and we got you today offensive lineman who played at the, who played at penn
3: yeah well hey there you go you know we we, we have a little hashtag we use on on uh, <laughs> social media hashtag one ivy right we all once we all get out of there, we all try to uh, support each other, even though very uh, they're very uh, tenacious rivalries. Uh, while you're playing, once once you're out, you kind of uh, we have a little bit of a of a, a friendly uh, you know fraternity, so to speak, for our football uh, brethren who played at the other school. So happy to see Ross is fantastic. What a what a great football guy, and uh, really you're lucky to have him on. He's he's fantastic.
0: What's harder for you, blocking the likes of Reggie White? or raising triplet daughters.
3: Yeah, that's a good well, I would say I would say I definitely had an easier time with Reggie White cuz I knew what I was getting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I knew I was going to get the big, you know, the big hump move that he used to use with his his right arm or, you know, I was going to get a nice rip move, you know, to my hip or whatever. Man, when you, you know, you got to feed and diaper and change and entertain three <laughs> infants all at the same time and you go right to zone defense and not you know any kind of a man-to-man defense uh yeah it can definitely take your breath away for sure
0: oh man joe let's get to the super bowl and have some fun there it seems like the prevailing thought right now is that the eagles are the better team they're the healthier team and they're the better team but people can't bring themselves to pick against Mahomes. are you getting the same sense
3: yeah, I think, look, you, you nailed it right there. Three big points, right? The, the Eagles have more momentum. They're going to be a little, They're coming in this game a little bit healthier. Uh, and, and, you know, they're just – I think this season they've done stuff with the RPO, with the run pass option, and the way Jalen Hurts has executed it that is going to be unlike anything the Chiefs have really seen. I mean, the Chiefs defense has seen some mobile quarterbacks, we'll call them. You know, quarterbacks with happy feet who can find the pocket within the pocket, Guys like Josh Allen and, uh, you know, Joe Burrow and, and, and in their own division, Derek Carr and Justin Herbert. And they've seen those guys plenty of times to, to know how to, to defend against a really solid, you know, what I would call a happy-footed quarterback. But they have not seen anything like the RPO. You know, when, you're, when you run that run-pass option and Jalen makes the option to, to hand off, keep it, or pass, and you're not disciplined, um, it can be – it's a lot. You have to muscle memory that. You know. You can't just watch film and say, oh, when he does this, he does that. So the Chiefs are going to – it's going to be critical that the Chiefs scout offense this week and, and the, this past week are doing a great job of simulating and emulating the Jalen Hurts run offense because you, ha- you there's a sense of muscle memory that you need to play that kind of disciplined defense so you don't over-pursue you don't under-pursue. You don't hang back too much. You don't, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. I, I, when I was coaching high school football, I coached for 11 years, and we ran the triple option. And I know how hard that is for teams to discipline themselves if you don't see it a lot. And that's why I think that the Eagles have, have a little bit of an advantage right now because they're very complementary in, in most other positions, or maybe not, that's not the right word. They're very similar in, in, in most of the other positions. There's no real standouts. You know, nobody's got a Walter Payton or a Barry Sanders at running back. You know, they've got great receiving cores, um, but they're, you know, with with the exception of AJ Brown, who kind of has set himself apart uh, from the pack. um, I just think they're very similar teams. Uh, Their offensive lines, the way their defenses rush. I think it all comes back. It all comes down to your last point. Your last point there is, is it Mahomes or Jalen Hurts that has, you know, has the breakout game?
0: joe valerio former nfl offensive lineman five years in the league four of them with the chiefs he's here with us on our super bowl week coverage here on the brady Farkas show and wdev AM and fm you know i understand that the Bengals' mangled offensive line is not the same as the eagles offensive line but the chiefs had a lot of success in that afc title game getting pressure on joe burrow five sacks three in a row at one point what can they do to get some pressure up front
3: Well, you know, they've got, you know, Steve Spagnuolo puts together very good and and sort of differentiated blitz packages. So obviously, I think they're going to have to pressure Jalen a little bit. It's a big game. He's on a big stage, not that he hasn't been on big stages before, but, you know, they're going to want to try to take advantage of his adrenaline that's going to be, you know, make that work against him and and get him to make quick decisions, um, you know, in a game where, you know, the Chiefs have a little bit more uh, championship DNA, so to speak, right? They've Andy's been there multiple times. Patrick's been there. You know, some of these offensive linemen have some some Super Bowl experience. And, you know, I think I think it's going to come down to what kind of package can Spagnola put together to 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 sort of pressure Jalen Hurts, but not over pressure him. You know, if you if you rush, you know, undisciplined like in, in, in the way that you go after him, he's going to find a crevice and he's going to take off and he's going to press those linebackers into coming up. And then he can either dump the ball or he can find, you know, some open spots in that intermediate passing game, you know, from like eight to say 15 yards, which could kill you, right? That, that time of possession, it's, you know, their are they're high percentage throws and, you know, they're going to have to have a very, very disciplined rush. If they just pin their ears back and go after Jalen hurts, it could be a long day and he could really beat you with his legs. So, you know, they're going to have to be uh, very wary in the way that they rush. I don't think you're going to see a lot of sacks out of the Chiefs. I think what they're going to try to do is push the pressure up into his face and, and sort of make him make a decision about what he needs to do rather than trying to go for the big sacks.
0: You as an offensive lineman, what kind of pressure is on you? What's your mindset knowing you've got a less than 100% Patrick Mahomes in front of you? Obviously, he's going to be better than he was in the AFC title game, but still, he's not 100%. What's going through your mind as a lineman under those circumstances?
3: Oh, I mean, yeah. Look, the thing is, as an offensive lineman, when you're, when you're protecting a guy like Patrick Mahomes, one of the things that these lines, you've had multiple different groups, right, chemistry, uh, you know, they've had to coordinate some chemistry with some different groups throughout the, the, throughout his short career. Um, But what, what you need to learn to do is just take your defender where he wants to go. If you try to position block and get yourself between Patrick and the defender and, and sort of like in in almost like in a basketball manner where you're trying to stay between, you know, the person who has the ball and stay between the, 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 uh, the player that they're trying to get the ball to when you're playing defense. If, if, if the Eagles linemen try to do that too much, they don't create the right pocket for him. So let's say, for example, you know, the right defensive end you know, for the, for, the, for the Eagles slant in hard. Well, Orlando Brown just needs to take him and wash him where he wants to go, and Patrick will step to his left, and he'll find that open spot. That's, that's how you protect Patrick Mahomes. You don't try to build this perfect, you know, here's a geometry term, right? You don't try to build this perfect parabola or half <laughs> of an oval around him, right? You have to just take your defender where he wants to go and let Patrick make the decision. And that's the way a lot of these happy-footed quarterbacks play today. You know, the Josh Allen, the Joe Burrows. And, you know, what the Chiefs were able to do with Burrow is they were able to collapse the pocket. You know, they, it wasn't like a mad rush where they just had these guys burning up the field, beating them around the corner, right? They were, they were sacks that really collapsed the pocket. And, and that's what the Chiefs are going to have to do with Jalen because they've got, um, you know, they've got a guy who can escape, and 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 then again, like I said, beat you with your feet, beat beat you with his feet. So I think that's what that's, if I'm if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs defensive line, I'm going to be very disciplined in my rush, and that's he, the kind of package I think it's to put together.
0: Here in Patriots country, it always gets back to the Patriots, and so let's assume the AFC certainly is going to be run for several years by Mahomes, Burrow, and Josh Allen is there room for a fourth team in that party? Can the Patriots eventually crash that party, uh, you know, and then before the next decade is over?
1: Well,
3: you know that, you know, you know that Bill Belichick's not going to sit on his laurels, right? He's going to, he's going to be out looking for the best talent. He's got the, you know, Robert Kraft is, you know, one of the top owners in in the league and he's going to, make investments in that team because, you know, the city and and the team and the organization has gotten used to winning and they want to get back there. They're just one of those. Boston is just one of those cities that takes a lot of pride in having really good sports teams that can compete for, you know, their respective championships every year. So, you know, it's a city that players want to go play in. uh, And so, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that, that, Bill Belichick will be getting this team ready for the future, uh, knowing that they've had a taste for for what success looks like, and I think the crafts will will look at that as well, right? They're not going to sit back and say, nope, we're not we're not going to be a part of this party," right? They're going to want to get in there. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think in this day of day and age of free agency, and parity, and all the things that you know we see happening, I think any given year a team can rise and and get themselves back into into sort of a national prominence position because you know nationally prominent position because you know because they can you know look at the the Patriots were the last team to win the back-to-back Super Bowls right right? and that was almost that was 20 years ago and and so it shows you how things can change quickly and, and if the Patriots want to make the investment and use the the experience of a Bill Belichick then certainly they can be back in that mix.
0: Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman and now a, a man in, in friendly but enemy territory at the Super Bowl party this weekend as he's based out in Philadelphia. You can catch out his or you can check out rather his work at the Believe in Chiefs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. He does great work there and uh, I saw it recently on my uh, streaming device on my Roku TV. So not only a podcast but a video version of the podcast that's easy to find as well. Joe, we appreciate the time and the perspective. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the cheesesteaks on the barbecue. Heel.
3: thanks so much brady we will and uh, it's gonna be a fun one I'm, I'm loving that this game has been uh you know the pre-game stuff has been very respectful we're not getting into any of the kind of shenanigans and bulletin board material that we've seen uh from some other games this this playoff season so i'm excited about a really hard-fought game that's gonna be played by two respected organizations joe thank
0: you we'll catch up again soon
3: You got it, buddy. Thanks, Brady.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Love talking to Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman. He had really good perspective, too, on what it is going to be like to block for a gimpy Patrick Mahomes. But I also really liked what he said about the keys to stopping Jalen Hurts. And this is something that we've talked about a lot with the Patriots when they're taking on a mobile quarterback. And it really is a delicate balance when you're talking about pressure, right? Like, let's let's football nerd out here for a minute. You need to get pressure on a quarterback, right? That, that is standard operating procedure. You need to get pressure on a quarterback and make the quarterback's life uncomfortable. Well, then the question is, how do you do that smartly? Because you see this so often, right, where rushers come off the edge and they try to get around the offensive lineman. They'll go wide to get around an offensive lineman, and all of a sudden – the quarterback just steps up, and now there's nobody there. And the quarterback just takes off and runs. And we hear that, you know, when the quarterback breaks containment, that's what that means. It means that you have rushed basically past the quarterback, and now he just steps up and goes. And then you have to figure out, how. okay, how do we combat that? Well, then your other alternative is, well, we're not going to rush at all, and we're going to kind of stay at the line of scrimmage. Well, now he's got all day to throw so the question is, how do you rush the quarterback and get pressure without losing the containment? And Joe says he thinks it is. You're going to try to – basically, you're going to force him to the middle, right? They're going to try to get pressure in his face. They're going to bring pressure from up the middle. They're not going to allow him to get to a spot where he can step up. He, maybe is not going to send everybody wide and allow him to you know, get up through the middle. You send it up in his face – and then try to make him roll out, and now you've got some linebacker help, some DB help, etc. It's fascinating nerd-out stuff there, uh, you know, nerd-out stuff on defense there from Joe Valerio. Joe said something about the Patriots at the end that I want to push back on. Joe says every year an NFL team kind of comes from nowhere. That's not what I'm looking for for the Patriots. I'll tell you more next on DEV.
3: Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802 585 3026.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Just a couple of minutes left here. I want to thank Joe Valerio, the former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman, for stopping by. We were able to cut up this piece of audio during that commercial break. I asked Joe about the idea of the Patriots kind of getting back into the AFC prominence role. Look, we think the Bengals are, are here to stay, the Chiefs are here to stay, and the Bills are here to stay. I said, can the Pats crash the party? Here's what Joe said.
3: Bill Belichick will be getting this team ready for the future uh, knowing that they've had a taste for for what success looks like. And I think the crafts will, will look at that as well, right? They're not going to sit back and say, Nope, we're not, we're not going to be a part of this party, right? They're going to want to get in there. So yeah, absolutely. I I think in this day of day and age of free agency and parity and all the things that, you know, we see happening, I think any given year a team can rise and, and get themselves back into into sort of a national prominence. All right, so
0: Joe says on any given year, a team can rise and get back to national prominence. That is true, but that is not what I want for the Patriots. I don't want the Patriots to be a one-off team. I want the Patriots to be a sustained contender, and that is the problem. They are not. And they right now are not particularly close. The Patriots absolutely can make the playoffs next year. They're a few moves away from being a playoff team next year. You know who else is a? You know, I mean, Seattle made the playoffs this year, and Detroit almost made the playoffs this year, and Green Bay almost made the playoffs this year, and Miami made the play. Like, there's a bunch of teams that are very average that made the playoffs. I want to be sustained greatness. And that's what Kansas City is, and that's what Cincinnati is gonna be, and that's what Buffalo has been, and what Buffalo I think will still be with Josh Allen. I don't want the Patriots to be the one-off, like the Minnesota Vikings this year, who went 13 and 4 or whatever. That's a one-off. That's not what I want. Right? I want to be the 49ers, who could be a machine and just churn it out. I want to be the Chiefs, who could be a machine and can turn it out and turn it out. The Patriots aren't there. And we talked about it with Ross Tucker yesterday. They're not far from playoff contention. They are far from Super Bowl contention. And they're really far from sustained greatness. I'm not looking for one year where the Patriots pull a special run out of their backside. I'm looking for every year that you're a part of this thing. I want to be in the conversation every single year. The Niners are in it every year. The Cardinals were a one-off last year. Okay, The the Bills are going to be in it every year. Miami this year was on their way to being a one-off. Green Bay is usually in it every year. Minnesota was a one-off. I don't want that. I want sustained greatness. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I leave you with this for the day. I want you to listen to the Brady Farkas show every night. And we have a great show planned again for you tomorrow. Another great day of guests here on our fake radio row week, our radio row at home. I want you to listen every day. But tomorrow at 6 o'clock, I want you to go to Patrick Gym. And I want you to watch the UVM women's basketball team. Because this team deserves your support. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'll be on the air. I cannot go. I wish I could. The UVM women's basketball team is at home tomorrow night at 6 o'clock taking on Maine. UVM right now is tied for Maine with, uh, in second place in the America East Conference standings. They're a half game behind UAlbany in first. U- UVM has already beaten UAlbany this year. They've already beaten Maine once. They need your help. This team deserves it. This team has earned it. They have won eight consecutive games in Inside America East play. I want to see UVM men and women get to the NCAA tournament in the same year. It's never happened in the time that I've been here. I want to see it happen. When I worked at UAlbany, I think it happened three years in a row where the men and women got to the tournament the same year. It's great for your campus community. It's a cool feat. People will remember it forever. I want to see it. This team is taking on Maine tomorrow at home, 6 o'clock. You should go to it. We talk about packing the gut for women's hockey. You did that. Pack Patrick for women's basketball as well. They have earned it. On any given night, they could have any of their five starters go for double figures. They've got a local product in Catherine Gilwee on the team who's having an excellent season. They've got good leadership, good upperclassman leadership, a cool, a good head coach who's easy to root for, and Elisa Kresge. They have earned your support. They've earned your attention. Men's team is on the road tomorrow at Maine. We'll talk about that, obviously, on Thursday. The women, we'll be talking about them, too. They've earned it. They deserve it. And I hope you go support them. Brady Farkas' show is out. Jazz with George Thomas is in. That's coming up next here on Vermont's news station, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And reminder, State of the Union tonight from President Biden coming up at 9 o'clock. Eye on the World with John Batchelor will follow. After that, CBS News will kick us off, though. And again, then we kick it over to the music jazz with George Thomas here on DEV.